0: okay hi this is an experiment so normally on Mandyland um, as the (laughs) the name of the online space would suggest there's a strong involvement of a certain character named Mandy as I'm imagining that she's talked about in the past maybe not on this podcast but certainly in real life for any of those of you who know her Her being a Scorpio dictates that she behaves and lives a certain way. But in this case, my being an Aries is going to dictate that I behave in a certain way, which is to take charge and be um, a leader in the direction of my own story. And I'm going to go solo today and record this as a a monologue. Um, Because I wanted to come back and share some more of what's going on. And talk a little bit about what what kind of, uh, like one of, or a few of the things that made me want to do these podcasts with Mandy in the first place. And to start recording my thoughts in this media, as opposed to writing things down or not even documenting them. Um, so yeah, today it's just me. And... I have been going back and forth in my mind for the past few weeks, um, about what makes sense to talk about next, and of course, I have lots of ideas. Two things that have come up, though, for me, really since I've got my first diagnosis as an adult, that was a couple years ago, almost three years ago, actually, now, um, And that I keep vacillating back and forth. So I probably will do episodes about both of these. But I think what I've settled on as what I want to talk about today is main topic, how it feels to have cancer. Subtopic A is slow. It feels slow and it feels like it feels a vast space and much of your time is spent waiting. So... That's today. Another topic that I really want to bring up and kind of go into in more detail is at the same time, you feel like you're on a crazy roller coaster where, from an hour to the next or a day to the next, um, the physical feelings you're having, symptoms you're having, emotions you're having can just dramatically change flying up and down um, events, uh, test results. Pieces of information that come up can just really change how you are leading your day and how you might be spending your time in the next few weeks or even the next few months. So I have lots of material for that one. In fact, I've been sending Mandy and Mike um, voice memos for a while now. And there's a few particular little anecdotes since finding out my treatment that I took with summer didn't work, um, and starting my new treatment, which I've been on now for three weeks, where I was fortunate to capture in the moment some, some real feelings I was having. Um, and I, I feel like I would like to share those, but first I want to have a little bit more, uh, a little more control in the situation and explain a little bit more the, the overall framework of what's, how how your time is spent, you know, like what's the what does a year having cancer look like? What is a couple years? How do the past three years of my life look from the outside? And then also how did they feel from the inside? Yeah, so hi, again. Welcome. Let's let's go on this little conversation together with myself. Um, so I guess one of the The things that you probably have noticed about me from the first episode is that um, a lot of my experience with being treated and with determining what to do about this illness with Western medicine has been shaped by my career and my profession as a scientist. And not only in the way that it just sort of like the skills that I have have allowed me to gather information with a certain efficiency, but also that it's really, being a scientist is not just a job, it's a way that you lead your life, and a way that you think about the world, and my curiosity, I guess, and uh, needing to understand the reason that things are done and asking questions and looking for other information is really uh, in one way, it's a coping strategy, I guess, for dealing with all of this, um, it's, you know, new stuff. And so, over the course, I guess, really, the like the first sort of event that really. led me to start thinking about how, what it would mean to have to deal with cancer for a long period of time, as opposed to just having one tumor um, and being sort of like a stage one diagnosis for those of you who might be familiar with the cancer language. Stage one, you just have one tumor in one place, you identify it, you can treat it um, usually by surgically removing it and then you, you watch that spot for a while with imaging, with either CAT scans or PET scans or MRI, make sure it doesn't grow back. And then after a period of a few years, if it doesn't grow back, then you're considered to be in remission and, you know, done, good. So uh, the moment for me when I realized that this probably wasn't going to be that kind of situation was when I had had surgery to remove my first tumor. And my main oncologist called me up with the results of the pathology. And after having given it some thought, he recommended that I do chemo at that point. Um, Because there was some risk or they were concerned that there had been enough time and circumstances were such that the cancer could have spread. And so we try to nip it before it grows more, assaults, assault my body with some pretty harsh drugs and hope that that prevents any cells from taking hold anywhere and turning into tumors later on. And I remember getting that phone call because it was not something that I expected to happen. And I knew about the possible chemotherapy regimens because I had done a little background reading just to sort of see... You know how do people who get this type of cancer usually get treated or managed in the longer term, and I knew what was out there and I knew it was going to be hard. So, and not to mention I had had chemotherapy as a kid, and although I don't remember any of it, my having all this come up again, I talked to my parents a bit about going through that experience, and it's I mean it's challenging for everybody involved. So The That awareness Kind of Made me start Contemplating More How do I How am I going to come out The other side It's like walking through a doorway In Alice in Wonderland In this universe of Lewis Carroll Where you you suddenly stumbled upon this strange universe and you're going to have to get used to it because you're not going back to where you came from. (laughs) Um, The way that you look at the world shifts and you have to come to terms with things. So the first thing I did was obviously look for information and once I realized that I was not going to find any answers in scientific papers and with data... I started reading books about people who had gone through similar experiences, or by people who had gone through similar experiences. And there were a couple of things that really struck me. One was this book that I read. um, It's by a guy who's an academic. He was a sociologist. His name's Arthur Frank. And he wrote this book. It's kind of like a little academic monograph slash memoir called At the Will of the Body, Reflections on Illness. And I think he wrote it um, much more as an analysis of what it feels like to be ill and to go through treatments and sort of fears and um, decision-making processes and the, the lived experiences of those events. But one of the unique things about him is that in his late 30s, he... He had a heart attack, uh, unexpectedly, as heart attacks usually happen, and was treated and recovered, and as he says, he bounced back. But then a year or a couple years later, he had some early symptoms and then realized he had testicular cancer and ended up launching on this journey of being treated for that cancer and having a recurrence later on. And so he had these two events really close together in his life. Um, One of a really acute health emergency and one of finding out he had cancer. And he makes the comparison really aptly. I just flagged this page. I'm going to read this quote. So he says, after an incident like my heart attack, I was able to bounce back. People even said, you've really bounced back. That's accurate, because in most cases, we do not sink into an experience. We only hit the surface. I may have bounced back from a heart attack, but with cancer, I was going to have to sink all the way through and discover a life on the other side. Cancer was not going to be an incident. I would have to experience it. And I think that's the thing that surprised me the most. So in this big question that I had of... How does it feel to have cancer? And which is probably something that all of you are wondering, too. Even if you've seen someone have cancer, often the person can look completely healthy and be living a normal life, which in some ways is what I am attempting very hard to do right now. Not <laughs> In the past week or so, not achieving quite as much as I would like to. But... You don't collapse on the ground. You are not rushed to the hospital in an ambulance normally. Unfortunately for some people, their cancer is so advanced that that would be the case, and that's how they would learn, and that would be challenging and sad. But in my case, at least, it was a a little bit of a symptom that developed in the beginning. I was just having some elbow pain. I thought it was a work-related like stress thing. But then I started to feel a tumor growing underneath the surface of my skin. And I knew because of my genetic risks that I should go get it looked at. And fortunately, the random doctor who I saw at the clinic that day listened to me about my history, ordered an MRI, and we went from there. But what... I realized at that point, and then sort of every step along this path is something I'm reminded of, is that all of these decisions and all of the treatment of cancer, all of the practices of oncology are slow. And... Even the, the, the disease or the illness of whatever you would call it, I don't know, it's weird to say it's an illness, when you don't feel ill, right? Like, I don't feel sick. Yeah, well, all the reasons you feel sick when, when you have cancer are from being treated, but that's another story. You don't feel sick from the primary tumor. So the nature of cancer itself, it starts with one cell that divides into two and then into four, and so on and so on. But it doesn't necessarily happen as quickly as your cells would divide, say, for example, if you were pregnant and you were creating a life inside you, those cells divide rapidly, and you have to make sure you reach the deadline of having a baby by the time that nine months has elapsed. Cancer, depending on what type of cancer it is, the cells can divide at a very different rate, and that's actually something that they measure when they give your pathology results. So faster dividing cancer can be more aggressive and vice versa. But my point there would be that it takes time for those cells to accumulate in your body enough for you to notice them as someone who has your body. And even then, depending on where your tumor is, if it's buried deep in your, uh, I don't know, like in your kidney or like in in your brain, um, anywhere in your In your guts You wouldn't be able to feel it Necessarily You would start having a symptom eventually And so it's slow growing It's slow moving It's like insidious It creeps And just as the illness Or the condition The biological mm, Anomaly is that way. So is the management of it as you start to seek medical help and do something about it. So in my case, I was lucky to go to the clinic early on, get seen right away by doctors who were specialists who could make decisions about what we should do in the short term. And the first things that we did were fast and were short. Um, And that's what sort of led me to keep feeling like, oh yeah, we'll just have these daily radiation treatments for a few weeks and clean up the the margins of the tumor. They basically try to zap it to to contain it before they go in and surgically remove it. And radiation as a treatment is usually something you do every day. And once you're set up with it, you go in, you lie on this weird beanbag shaped thing that they take an imprint of your body in this position so that you put the part of your body that's getting the radiation as far away from the rest of your body as possible. So for me, I had my arm extended off to the side and then it was in this weird like reverse banana shape. And you lie down and you strike that pose and then they zap you for 10 seconds and then you're like, bye. And then you come back in the afternoon and you do the same thing and then you do that for 21 days. So it's like... Super brief, super not a big deal. And then surgery is much the same. Like, you get ready. It's one big day, the big event. Sometimes they even send you home on the same day. And then you're done. Boom. So that felt fast. That's why I mentioned earlier, finding out I was going to have to do chemo that first round after I had surgery was a blow because that is something that takes time The way that that particular chemo worked is I would have to be admitted to the hospital and be on an IV for basically three days because they would give me the drugs um, once on the first afternoon and then once on the second afternoon and they would watch me overnight and make sure I was okay before I could go home. But while I was getting the chemo drugs, they would also have to infuse this other drug that protected um, other parts of my body from the chemo drugs. So basically it's like it's like a little antidote for your your internal organs. And that in itself is an example of slowness. You have to sit there and have this IV. hooked up into your vein veins. Um, and watch these poisons like literally drip into you slowly and you're just sort of like waiting with bated breath like when am I gonna feel it <laughs> and I remember actually the first time I was admitted for chemo the pharmacist comes and visits you and gives you the information about the drugs the same way that if you go to the pharmacy and you get a prescription for antibiotics they offer you counseling about oh make sure that you don't um you take all the doses and don't stop early or else it's not gonna work same kind of thing the pharmacist comes to your room and gives you the drug information and me being me when they're like do you have any questions i was like yes um how, what about the dopamine receptors is that the, is this is pre-med that you're giving me from my nausea how, like what other receptors <laughs> oh, it's irrelevant to this conversation but the last thing I asked this person was yeah how does it feel to take this chemo and I knew that they probably wouldn't be able to answer but um, but why not try and he he looked at me and was kind of like mm-hmm. good question I guess you'll know soon <laughs> yeah so how does it feel well now i know really well we can talk about that another time but the thing that again brings me back to this theme of slowness and of space and time passing is even once you've taking the drugs, so that and that in itself, over the course of three days, it feels like an eternity when you're just in the hospital sitting around waiting for this to be over. You don't start to notice the real effects or the, the chronic consequences until time passes. And the scientists in me now knows that I, I think, I haven't confirmed this recently, but it's come up again, so I've been wanting to look it up that a lot of the drugs, they won't really start to have the majority of their actions until two and a half to three weeks after you start, because it takes a while for all the cells. Like, you have tons of healthy cells dividing normally, just going about their normal business, but once you bring the drugs in and they start their assault on your healthy mitosis, you have to allow for this grace period where the healthy cells all get killed off and then all of a sudden you're just sort of dealing with no cells being able to divide at that three-week mark and that's when you really start to notice things like that's when i my hair fell out the first time so there's a slow build in the physical consequences and the way that you feel So then, my next point would be how this translates to the psychology of it. And this is another thing, like on a the bigger level, that I want to talk about because, again, obviously, you've heard me explain my experience in a very, like, kind of precise, rational, matter of fact scientific way but there's a lot of other like crazy emotional metaphysical stuff going on under the surface and I think part of what Mandy has urged me to document this for and that I think I really appreciate is getting at those feelings and what's happening in my mind as these physical things start to happen so that's where it feels like I'm making myself a lot more vulnerable by saying this stuff and publishing it on Mandy's website But, but I think that this is where the real value comes out for any fans of RuPaul's Drag Race out there. It's like you need to stop using the drag to hide yourself and you have to use the drag to truly show yourself. Mm. Yes, so much. So the thing that became really hard is waiting to know if something's working. And for me, around the first time, That wasn't an issue because we were really just doing chemo as a preventative measure. I think it's called adjuvant in that case. Something you give along with the other treatment. Um, Literally, I think that's the Latin. Neoadjuvant is something you do before you have surgery. And then adjuvant, in my case, it was after surgery. And so I did the chemo. I had some scans later on. No sign of anything coming back already. I mean, it was only a few months after removing my first tumor, so wouldn't expect it. So apart from the fact that I went on this whole other health-like sidetrack where we found a random meningioma brain tumor and I had brain surgery, again, story for another night, um, I had no cancer and I was fine and just being closely monitored for uh, about a year and a half, yeah. And so this is where the the emotional ride comes in, because at this point, even though I felt healthy, I was back to normal, living my normal life, doing my normal stuff, applying for grants, submitting papers, supervising students, back in the lab, going to conferences. There's always those dates on the calendar every three months in this case where I would be booked for two, three days of MRI scans. Um, and in my case, I'm having only MRI scans because of my history and predispositions We're avoiding giving me any extra radiation that I don't need. So, so I get to lie in MRI scans for hours, which is, again an example of slowness. MRIs are slow, but they produce beautiful, high-resolution pictures. Um, so I basically get a full-body MRI <laughs> every three months. And those few days of before the scans, trying to prepare yourself for what could be bad news, surprising news. And then the few days after the scans, we're usually waiting for the the readings and the results to be posted or for your doctor to call. Those are really challenging days. And I'd read about people's experience with those days, and I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not really prone to anxiety. I feel fortunate for that, especially now. <laughs> um, I've never been an anxious person. Pretty good at keeping my thoughts and sort of, like, panic under control. Of course, I use strategies. It's not just a natural thing. Like, I do a lot of mindfulness and that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, and the more time that passed, it didn't get easier. In fact the more time that passed and we would find little tiny things that weren't really a concern, but here's this little, there's a little bump in your, like the side of your knee. Let's look at this a little further. And it, so it would add more scans to every round of scans that I was getting. Or there's this little like nodule deep in your left thigh. We're going to add another scan and kind of watch that in closer detail. And so I had a number of these additional things that we were watching by December of last year, almost a year ago. Such that by the time I got to my three months after that, in March, I was... I would say I was having anxiety. I was... kind of freaking out inside. To the point where I did two things. I asked my... GP for a referral to clinical psych so I could start going to therapy because I figured like, oh my God, if I have to deal with this, this pressure of like, kind of like being aware that I might all of a sudden have cancer again and have to jump back into treatment when I'm about to go on the academic job market. And I just got this grant and I have all this stuff going on in my life. Like it's hard enough to manage all those career pressures with this underlying slow burn of wondering if all of a sudden my life is going to get turned upside down again and so it's really funny how that worked out because I had that appointment on a Tuesday I remember and I, I worked up the the courage to to say can I just go to therapy can you send me to a therapy and I did and I asked for that and I got it and then the next day on the Wednesday I had my follow-up appointment with my main oncologist and got the results of my scans. And that was when I found out I had tumors in my liver. And my life was turned upside down, just like I had been trying to prepare myself for. So I'm glad I asked for therapy. <laughs> the other thing I had done, I was alluding earlier to two things, was I asked for a prescription for... Lorazepam so I could take some anti-anxiety drugs when I went for scans because the more hours you have to lie in the MRI scanner, the more you start to just be like, oh my God, I can't handle this. Listening to David Bowie for two hours is helpful, but can only go so far, especially when they only play the Pandora channel. And they won't sp- spring for the Spotify, but like play- but anyways, I digress. I have... I have to give a shout out to my one great MRI tech who I had one night who let me log into my Spotify account on the computer and play my own playlists while I was getting scanned (laughs) and I didn't have to listen to Pandora and be interrupted by commercials for CVS drugs. That was nice. It's all about patient experience. So, sidetrack, but back to this point of... There's all of this space, there's all of these times that you're waiting between scans with a sort of incubating fear, really, that something bad is about to happen. And so I didn't realize how that was affecting me until it's I got that news. And in a way it's almost easier to know that something bad has happened or that something new is is there and needs to be dealt with because then you can jump back into action and be working on finding solutions, finding information, getting appointments, consulting with doctors, getting prescriptions, starting treatment, doing your baseline tests, scans, everything. It's a very active part of the process. But then as the weeks and the months go on and you arrive at what your treatment plan is and you start you're sort of back in this zone and that's where i am right now which is why i think i've been thinking or contemplating this particular theme again back in the space of being on a new treatment which is something that is where i am right now i've been on this treatment for three weeks as of yesterday and starting to have side effects, which I can deal with, managing. But apart from that, there's really nothing that I need to do medically every week. Like, I go and get my labs drawn. It takes all of, like, half an hour to 45 minutes, depending on how long I have to wait. But I am able to just go on and just go back to my normal life. Like a light switch Just boom Okay You're out of cancer mode Go to your thing Because I can't actually Know that anything's working Until I've been on the drug For at least two months So We're talking like End of November Beginning of December Is when I will have that little Nugget of information And so I think is the the last thing I wanna say about this. That's the psychological challenge of this aspect of the experience is how do you how do you go back to normal once you walk through this door into Wonderland? And how do you try to have a normal day with like setting aside all of the dealing with side effects of drugs that you're on and any physical stuff that manifests, like just being tired and blah, 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 blah. That's really hard. It's hard to forget that you have metastatic cancer while you're waiting for two to three months to see if something gives you a stay. Um... it's probably the hardest thing and that's what I've been trying to figure out how to deal with that (laughs) for a while but especially since um since August when I started making these voice memos incidentally around the time that I got my scans from the treatment I did over the summer and was finding out that that didn't work um And then in this sort of limbo of trying to figure out what to do next. So do I have any answers? Well, some. Obviously, recording voice memos is totally working for me. I love talking to myself about the experience and talking to Mandy and Mike and now talking to all of you. And obviously, talking to my friends and family one-on-one. it helps to just be in the experience like that arthur frank quote from the beginning the cancer is something you have to experience but that said i think an alternative that probably like a lot of people would default to and that i know i really i fell into this groove over the summer, like from the period of maybe May to August, is you literally, you just try to forget that it's going on and really force yourself to go about your day-to-day life. And the nature of that treatment allowed me to do that very much. And I was working like five days a week. I even worked some weekends. I was involved with some extra commitments this summer. That meant a lot to me. And so I really was making an effort to, to be there and be my full, like, attentive self for all of that stuff that was going on. But then I, when I got the bad news, well, the news that this wasn't going to be the answer in August, I kind of crashed. I was really exhausted, and I felt like I couldn't sustain that. Even if I was on a similar treatment next that allowed me to physically do those things, I just didn't have the emotional and mental energy to get through it. And so part of what I've also started doing is just taking more time in my days to have cancer, which is funny to me because one of the things I've been so adamant about since all of this started, like since the very beginning, is... I don't want to be a cancer patient. I don't want to live like a cancer patient. I want to like I'm not going to live. I can't live my own life, and I'm lucky that I can still just go on about my my work and uh, my friends and doing my normal thing. And yeah, in many ways that's true, but I guess going back to the metaphor of crossing into through the looking glass, you can go about your daily life but you evolve to become a new version of yourself and so this new version of myself that's going to be careful with my body and my mind. one of the most important things is sitting with this new knowledge and this reality and figuring out what it means to me and actually taking time every day to think about it which feels kind of luxurious to be honest, um, like going to therapy, and in the, in the same way of, as going to therapy, where you just get to like walk in the door, closed door, it's like you pop on the little microphone and you're sitting with Oprah, and it's like, and all you have to do is talk about yourself and how you're feeling. It's wonderful. So, creating this little bit of like a window in my day every day to talk to myself is very much doing that. But I'm, I feel like it's. Important to me. I know that it's very important to me. As part of figuring out what it means right now and how I will respond no matter what outcome I get with treatments, with things in the future, if I bounce back and recover and am back to normal without tumors at a certain point, or if things go the other way and I have to face issues like. How will it feel to prepare to die? Like, let's be real. So one thing I have thought a lot about since August is making sure that I start taking the time to do this now while I'm still healthy and doing my normal thing. Because I don't want to be caught off guard and not have the time and the space to have these Thoughts and these feelings, and to share them. Hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Slowness and space. The vast expanse of the cancer journey. Um. Yeah. I think that's where I'm going to stop for today. Thanks for listening. As I mentioned, I do have a lot of um, stuff that I want to discuss in terms of these crazy roller coaster rides that I've been on up and down, which hopefully that will come out next. Um, I'm excited I will be seeing Mandy in person soon, and hopefully we will record some more conversations together while we're in the same room. All right, signing off.